0: Okay, we are in Sefer Yeshayahu, Perik Chavchess, Hosuk Yudalit, Lachain Shemudwar Hashem. So we saw that Perik Chavchess begins with Yeshayahu dealing in his own time with the Malchus of the Ten Shvatim. He describes to them that because of their arrogance, because of their total consumption with material gains, with the hedonistic pursuit of pleasures, they are doomed. They are going to be conquered by Ashur and exiled. Also, we saw how he goes back and forth with Yehuda. To contradistinguish them from Yisrael because they were a model of justice and righteousness under His They have uh, put Torah above all else. They have put Yerushamayim. They have put the Avodas Hamikdash. And they are different than Yisrael. But then the Navi says, however, after. It's going to change even in Yehuda. Yehuda is going to descend to the same level as the 10 tribes under Menashe, and therefore it's going to meet the same fate, the only difference being that they will be saved from Ashur, but they will succumb to Nebuchadnezzar and Bovel. Culminating in an exile and the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash. So we now pick up the Navi Yishaiyahu. So what's the? Why would the rationale for that be? Like, what's if 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 the if Yehuda is really in the same situation as as Israel? Why? What's the? You know why in the in the scheme of things? Why? Do they get this reprieve of a couple hundred years? Or it's, a hundred? it's all because of the leadership. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between Khizkiyah and Menasha is just, you know, the polar opposites. So now he's talking back to Yehuda, he's still on Yehuda. Pasuk <laughs> Now listen. To the word of the Kaddish who you scoffers. We're going to come back to that. Elates is someone who just cynically scoffs, mocks, makes fun of. You cynical scoffers, Mishle Ha'am, who lead the nation. We're talking about Yehuda, Hazer, Asher, Yerushalayim. Who is in Yerushalayim. What you have done, he's going to say, is you have literally made a pact with the devil in total delusion your martin corsenu briss shaol we have made a, a a treaty with death as it were and with shaol uh, with gehenum Osinu khose shotev that when the rod the sweeping rod of bovel comes through us lo yevenu it will not affect us kishamnu kozov machsenu because falsehood is our protection, and we are protected by lives. In other words, you are victims of such self-delusion, Yehuda, in that you think that you've made a pact, nothing bad can happen to you, the rod of Babel that will destroy the nation ultimately, doesn't affect you. Say the fortune, what gives them this confidence? Well, it's twofold, oddly enough, and one is they are tzaddikim in their own mind. They're in the Beis HaMikdash. They scrupulously observe the Korbanos. And two, it's now the age of Menashe who put Avodah Zorah right smack in the center of the Beis HaMikdash. So they're protected by Avodah Zorah and they're protected by the Kaddish Rorah. They've got a dual insurance policy. Tesvav, v'lochein Koamard, and kim. Even now, we see at the height of a terrible prophecy of destruction, there is compassion. Says Yeshayo. therefore, says the Kaddish Baruch Hu, I have put a foundation stone of a rock, an unbreakable foundation of stone. Evan bochan pinas It is at the basis of the temple. In other words, even though the temple will be destroyed, even though Israel will be exiled, I have planted a foundation that will make it ultimately possible for the goles to end, for the temple to be rebuilt. One caveat, Hamin lo yochish, that someone, when you believe this, remember it's not going to happen immediately. Waiting for something or waiting for the salvation is a form of emunah. So you must have emunah but this is not the final word. The samti mishmat lakav mishkolas, I will plant a line, a straight line of righteousness, a straight line of stukka. Uh mishkolas is like a plumb line that they use to measure a straight line. The in other words, I will um, have this thing where you will scrape out all the false refuge and the hiding places which will be floated by water. In other words, before this will happen, there will be a house cleaning, as it were. In other words, a massive house. You have got to clean your own house. You will have the salvation, but you are going to wait. And as for that covenant you have made with death, and the pact you've made with Gehenim that nothing can happen to you and that the rod of never won't happen wrong you will be trampled completely by Bavel. you see how the Neveh shifts back between total destruction total faith in the future uh etc but here he's saying it's done you will be trampled it, the rod of Bovell will take you Keep our poker, It will sweep you clean, morning after morning. Tonight, Yavar baYomu vaLoila baHayarak Zava Havin and you will uh, have just a terrible. It will be terrible sorrows, etc. Thus, I have heard. I have heard who say so himself. Interesting metaphor now, kikotzar hamatsa Literally, the bed is too small, it is too narrow, and the hamachasa, the blanket, tsora khanes is too small for more than one person. In other words, you can't have both. You can't have Avoda's Zara in the temple and Avodas Hashem. You can't have the protection of both the uh, the icons of Avodah Zorah and the Kaddish war, The bed's too small. They can't coexist together. So under Menasha, that is just what has happened, and that's the cause of your destruction. In other words, very interesting concept here. On the Mount of Pratsim, that is where David had a magnificent, miraculous victory over the Plashim. We know Yom HaShem and Givon is where Yoshua against the Ammonites makes the sun stop. Um, It's not the Ammonites, it's the Amorites, I believe. And therefore, now, what's the Kaddish miracle? He is going to invert this. He is going to take those miracles that he performed for Yeshua and David, and he is going to turn them against you. He will have the enemies perform similar miracles, just as David performed them, just as Yoshua performed them. He is going to reverse the the tables because his work is strange and foreign. We don't understand it, but he will use that same device. The Atah, now listen, satsu again that business of late sunners. Do not be mocking, because the more you mock that's how tougher the punishment will be, because your destruction I have heard it's irrevocable. So it's so decided. What is Yeshayahu saying? Is that he's saying that people he would tell them this and they would say, "You're crazy." Is that, what he, is that what's going on? Or is it... Because okay. it's, it's his... He's the one relating... The right. It, it's like we said yesterday, that beautiful sentence, kav la kav, la sav. La-sav. In other words, everything we tell you you're going to refute with something else from the Torah's You're not going to pay attention. And Leitzonus, which is a good point, a good time to raise this question, Leitzonus is a terrible, terrible Avera in the Torah's eyes. In other words, if you scoff and you're sarcastic and you just joke, really, at everything, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. The Gemara says, Leitzonus echad, dochem meyer tochachos. It's a very interesting concept. One joke, one sarcastic observation can ruin a hundred rebukes. That if you're going to be sarcastic, if you're going to say, attack the Nevi'im on the basis of late if you're going to attack uh, the seriousness of the thing by just joking it off, you have destroyed yourselves. Rav Schwab gives a beautiful example, this is incredible. He tells the story that when he was a bachor in yeshiva, some guy who had a very sarcastic, irreverent sense of humor told a perfectly inappropriate joke about something that was in the Rosh Hashanah davening and the Yom Kippur Davne He said, it took years Every time he came to that part in the Domning, he thought of that late sunnis. How powerful late sunnis is that it just obscures what you're doing, and that's what they're telling you. You're going to use late sunnis; it is going to go the harder for you. Continues. Because, as we say, it's going to make it al or it's what's coming is a punishment on the entire uh, eretz Israel. Uh, now, we're going to get a very strange parable. Let's just read the four or five sukkim straight of the parable and then try to interpret. Should a farmer tilling his land, growing crops, spend the whole day plowing the field? Just Plowing the field back and forth. Because plowing is just one of the things. After the plowing, you've got to seed it. You've got to grow it. You've got to plant it. Plowing the whole day is a waste of your time. Continues. Should uh, you not... Now, plant exactly enough wheat, exactly enough to fill a, a, uh, a particular plot. And therefore, when you're going to plant, do the wheat in this specific place, the saora, the barley here, the kusemet, the spelt at the boundary. In other words, you plant masudadik. You just you plant what's supposed to be planted in its given place and the and then you monitor it in accordance with the natural law of promoting healthy growth and after you finish you pray that the karish barahu will saturate it with rain the that the who gives the rain. Then, depending on what you're planting, is how you beat it, how you harvest it, how you um, tend to it. In other words, you're planting caraway seeds. You don't use the heavy tools to beat it. You use a light stick, they are delicate. You plant it with light, you don't beat it with a ploughshare. Similarly, if you're planting things that require greater things, let's bread with wheat, kilo you don't beat it with the heavy tools forever. At a certain point you know when to stop. most gilgal because what will happen? that the more powerful you thresh it, if you don't stop, you'll destroy it. What are we talking about here? First, as, as the Noe ends, Gam zos Hashem this is the brilliant word of the Kaddish Baruch, it is just magnificent wisdom and, and counsel. One, why are we doing this very obscure parable right in the middle of the dual prophecies of the destruction and goals of the ten tribes and the destruction and goals of Yehuda. What is its relevance? What is its brilliance? And so there are many interpretations, it's considered obscure, but the best of the Perusian say that what this is, is that the Kaddish Baruch Hu is saying you're going into Gaulas. It's irrevocable. You're going to be in Gaulas a long, indeterminate time. To survive there, you are not going to survive without a system of Torah, without a system of education for the young, without a system based on Yerushalayim and Limude Hakodesh. And so, what this parable is in how you instruct the child how you wean the child. In other words, you don't start by with the same thing, plowing the whole day, giving him just nothing that is really of solid meaning. And what you do is you don't go in a way that's inappropriate. You teach him according to his way. To what he can absorb. If it's smaller, you do it with a small tool. If it's larger, you do it with a large tool. And you don't beat it into him because even if it's heavy stuff, it's going to destroy it. So that the key to this parable it's how we train our children. It still leaves many questions as to why certain usage, but basically that is the intention of uh, the parable. And so, 845, we go back to the inevitable destruction tomorrow of both Yehuda and Yisrael, 845.